The Plan with Callahan podcast is brought to you by Callahan Wealth, an office of Northeast Planning Associates. Financial planning is hard. Let them make it easy, one step at a time. Financial planning offered through Northeast Planning Associates, a registered investment advisor. Securities and advisory services offered through LPL Financial, a registered investment advisor and member FINRA SIPC. NPA and LPL are not affiliated. Now, on with the show. Let me have your attention for a moment. Because you're talking about what? You're talking about... Mm, money, money, money. Ah, high finance. <laughs> Bulls, bears, people from Connecticut. That's as good as money, sir. Those are IOUs. I'm Tommy Callahan, Big Tom Callahan's son. You like Huey Lewis on the news? Greetings, everyone, and welcome to the Plan with Callahan podcast. I'm your host, Ryan Callahan. Today, we're going to be discussing a topic that some can find controversial. As your body grows bigger, your mind must flower. It's great to learn, because knowledge is power. It's Schoolhouse Rocky, the tip of the block of your favorite schoolhouse, schoolhouse rock. School choice is something that's been a very political topic. However, it's the financials behind uh, public education that really intrigues me. I went to public school my entire life and was never familiar with school choice because there really wasn't outside of going to a private institution. Fast forward 20 years and things are really changing. Full disclosure, I am a member of the board of trustees from Micro Society Academy Charter School, better known as Max here in Nashua, New Hampshire. And I'm delighted to have my good friend and executive director of Max, Amy Bottomley, here to join us for the podcast. Amy brings both a love and breadth of experience in educational leadership and entrepreneurship to the position. Under her leadership, Max has been awarded recognitions for student empowerment by the New Hampshire Eddies, nonprofit business of the year by the Nashua Chamber of Commerce, as well as an individual recognition as an outstanding administrator by the Micro Society National Headquarters. She holds a BA in education with a concentration in English from Bethany College in Bethany, West Virginia, and a master's in education leadership from New Hampshire, or excuse me, New England College in Henniker, New Hampshire. Amy is certified by the state of New Hampshire in the areas of principal, general specific education, and specific education administrator. Amy has worked in education for over 25 years, first in special education. She has since served in the capacity of school administrator since 2010. Amy is also co-owner of the Nashville running specialty store Fleet Feet with her husband, BJ, and is an educational consultant. She currently lives in Hollis, New Hampshire with her husband and two sons. Amy, I know your schedule is insane, so I can't thank you enough for taking some time to join me today. So welcome to the Plan with Callahan podcast, my friend. Thanks for having me, Ryan. Absolutely. Um, when I started this podcast, you were one of the first people that I thought of. Because again, I when I joined the board for Micro Society uh, last year, it really opened up my eyes to uh, the finance behind public education and school choice. Um, I'm curious because we're going to talk about a lot of stuff today, but I want to hear more about your background and really what you've seen in education throughout your career. You mind just kind of taking us back to the beginning for where it all started with you? So I've kind of done it all literally in education. I really when I went to school and I was an English major and I 
my parents were kind of like, what are you going to do with that? And I was like, good point. So I added the education component to it, got out of school and did not know if I really wanted to teach English at a high school level. So I went, came home and started subbing in my hometown just to get a feel for the the building and education in general. And within a few weeks, literally maybe a month, um, a secretary in the front office was injured and out on disability. And they asked me if I wanted the job. And my father was like, does it pay benefits? <laughs> <laughs> At that time, you weren't 20, you couldn't stay on until 26. So it did. And so I took the job. Um, and from there, I really got to know the special education population and decided to change my direction. And um, from there, they moved me into what's called a paraeducator position and allowed me to be paid while I student taught in a special ed classroom working on my new certification. And from there, I was hired right away as a special educator in the at the high school I had started subbing in. And through that process, being a special educator, I ended up being department chair and really taking on a lot of leadership positions and roles within the building which motivated me to go back to school and get my master's degree in leadership um, with my sights set on changing either to a special ed administrator or a school principal. Um, and I finished my degree and I was lucky that the SAU I worked in hired me in a upper elementary school position. So I ended up being an administrator in Hollis, um, I had dual roles. I was a special administrator and an assistant principal, and I did that for five years. Um, a lot of leadership changes happen, and you don't always agree with directions that uh, buildings take with, under new leadership. And so I started to look around, and I also knew after the five-year mark, I was ready to take charge and be a principal myself at that point. I felt experienced enough. Um, so I started to put myself out there, and I saw this posting for micro society. And throughout these years of my education um, experience, I also on the side had run an ice cream stand in my 20s and early 30s in the summers um, for summer employment, because as you know, teachers don't get paid year round. Mm -hmm. um, and then I met my husband and over time we ended up running, opening a running store together, running specialty store. Um, so I have dabbled in the business end of things. So when I saw this posting for Micro Society, it kind of meshed both my loves. So I was like the business aspect, the entrepreneurial aspect and teaching that to the children. And then my, you know, background in education and in leadership, I thought this was a might be a perfect match. And I applied and I was um, awarded the position and I, I haven't looked back since. And so you've been with Micro Society from its inception in mm -hmm. Nashville, right, which was 2015? 20, September 2015, we opened our doors to about 94 kids. Yes. Wow. See, I, I, I'll admit, so I learned about Micro Society through uh, a member of a, another board that I was on. And I got to admit, like, I always thought that charter schools were private schools. I didn't really, like, understand how they even operated. So when you guys first opened, I mean, how did you even get the word out to get 94 kids to join Micro Society? Yeah, so it was a long four-year process to get the charter approved from the Board of Ed um, by the original Micro Society Board. And from there, we had to advertise with no building to show, no teachers to name, no sure curriculum. Um, and they didn't even have my position filled at that point. So they did a lot of open house nights. They um, reached out community partner areas such as YMCA of Nashua, 
I believe the Boys and Girls Clubs too in Nashua said they would hold open houses there, use the library, did a lot of advertising that way. And through that, we got 94 kids to start in a temporary location in our first year. We were at the uh, St. Philip's Greek Church on West Hall Street. And we were there through October while we finished and completed build out on what is now our top floor. And then we moved into the top floor. And in January of 2016, we were able to occupy the bottom floor. So it was a long year and the family stuck with us. It was pretty amazing. The volunteers, the hours, the commitment they gave us. And now we're 300 strong this year. Wow. So you had 94 students and across how many grades? We started gradually. We did K through five. And then each year we added another grade. So that fifth grade was became sixth, became seventh, became mm-hmm. eighth. So it was a four-year rollout. And kind of filled from the bottom. With we the filled from the bottom, living. yeah. Gotcha. Um, that's wild. And so now over 300, K through eight. And you've really done it all organically. You've been the one who's had to wear multiple hats. Um, you know, obviously on our board, we have different committees and all of that, but you really run the show. I mean, absolutely on the day to day. And I know that you have staff that have helped you out, but this is really gone based on how far you've been willing to take it. Um, tell me a little bit about, you know, just your experience leading a charter school and how much different that's been from being in more of the traditional public school setting previously in your career. Yes, I was really familiar with the principal role in the school, working side by side with one for four four or five years. Um, I wasn't prepared for nonprofit board and charter school duties. I I at first thought I'd bit off more than I can chew, but I tapped into that business background, which luckily helped me um, get us through our first year with our new board. So. A lot of traditional public schools have what they refer to as a central office, where they have a whole army of staff members to do all these tasks that traditional public schools are tasked with. Well, so are charters. Charters are public schools. And so even though we're smaller in size, we still have to go through fiscal audits every year. We still have to do state testing. And with that comes a ton of state reporting that we have to do on a regular basis. So at the time when we started, it was myself and one who we referred to as our assistant director, Susanna Williams. And I also had to be the business manager and the facility manager. So I'm HR. So I'm doing all the hiring, contracts, benefits, um, payroll. And we managed two people, did all that for this operation and grew it from there. So we still have a small um, administrative team compared to a lot of other charters and definitely compared to traditional schools. Um, but we try to keep our administrative overhead costs down in order to pass better benefits and pay on to the teachers. So at this point, our, our administrative team has been willing to take on far more, wear far more hats than a lot of the other schools you'll see. But for me, it's more important to try to retain as many staff members, the ones that are really strong that we can. Well, I mean, you're you're fighting that uphill battle, right, relative to the traditional public schools, because, you know, it, it is kind of your competitor, right? I mean, there are other charter schools in the area. You obviously have other public schools that are in the area. And again, where we started today's podcast is about choice and giving folks the ability to choose whether they're going to send their kids to school. You guys also have, you know, some financial struggles that 
not other traditional public schools have. Um, whatever you're willing to discuss today about the finances, I mean, that was one of the things to me that opened my eyes was how much you're getting relative to a traditional public school in terms of funding and how you have to fill that gap with other means. Can you touch on that at all? Yeah, I can. There's a lot of misconceptions out there about charter and financing and that we're stealing money from the public schools. Or like you said, they think we're tuition-based where we're not, we're free. Um, So right now in the state, if you look at the average elementary cost per pupil for the state, and that includes, in fairness, it includes special ed and transportation costs in that number, it's $19,000. So let's say we take out some money for, let's take out four grand for special ed on average per student and transportation. So let's call it Mm $15,000 is what we would be responsible for. We're getting $7,300 per child. So we're even taking out the special ed, an average of special ed and transportation, we're still funded half the amount that the traditional student would get. Now, with that being said, everyone, some people think in other states it's true, the full dollar amount falls the child to the to the charter school. That is not true in the state of New Hampshire. There's one small portion, and it's about $3,800 that follows the child from the traditional school to the charter school, and that's the adequacy aid. So we're not taking a lot of dollars when a child leaves the traditional public school and comes to this charter school, yet we still have to provide a free and appropriate public education just like the traditional public school is. And so we have to spend time to make up a lot of that dollar amount because even at max, it costs roughly, and I'm throwing out a rough estimate for that because I haven't done the numbers for this year, but about $9,000 to educate a student. So, so you have to make up that difference of that fifteen hundred, you know, in this case seventeen hundred dollars per child. Yeah, and so through that we have to do fundraising. Um, we have to do we do a lot a lot of fundraising. We we go to our parent group, our PTO group, and we ask them to make up fifteen thousand dollars out of the you know for the operating budget. So we mm-hmm. charge the parent group every year with raising fifteen thousand dollars. So, and they do, they meet and generally exceed that every year. And so we're very grateful. Um, we can't charge anything. We ask for a volunteer buyout. We ask for either your time, 10, 10 hours of volunteer hours a year per family or a hundred dollar buyout per family. That doesn't get us a lot, but yeah. it still helps. So we really have to think of other things like large fundraiser projects. We've done auctions in the past, um, we're starting the golf tournaments this, you know, this past year and forward. Um, and also we take advantage of what's called charitable gaming in the state. So charitable gaming, in order to have casinos, 35% of their daily profit has to go to a nonprofit. So charters do fall in the nonprofit category. So we are able to take advantage of that. But it's really hard. There's so many nonprofits in the state of New Hampshire, and we're all vying for those dollars. And you're only you're capped at 10 days a year. And so you have to be fortunate enough if you can partner with casinos to get that money. So we have to be really, really creative mm-hmm. um, on how we can get make up that bottom dollar. We do have to charge for clubs and after school activities. We charge for lunch. We don't have a you know a free and reduced lunch program because we don't have a kitchen, so we couldn't even um, apply to get the that um, program going. But 
it does those, those are small do dollars because we're not wanting to take advantage of and upcharge our parents you know we want to pass just the cost along to our parents so we really have to look at other sources so grant writing we've been trying our handout uh, at and we do we are able to access what's called title funding in the state so we do take advantage of that which really brings in some great supplemental remediation type programs into our school so why is it that you guys get like almost 50 cents on the dollar relative to a public school who's making that decision uh, the state got legislation. It's, it's the government. Okay, so they that's a, that's how it's always been? Because obviously there have been charter schools in the state for years. Has it always been kind of that ratio relative to public school, traditional public school? So it's been, you know, it has been around, we haven't been around for more than 20 years, that to my knowledge, for charters. And so when I started, we were getting $5,300 per child. So I don't know how they originally came up with a formula. I do know we get what's called a cost of living, a COLA increase every two years. But this past year, it equated to two and a half percent. So it's it's not enough to keep up with inflation. So now, not they to... have to change that number and it has to go through committees and votes and not or to get controversial. The governor's budget. Yeah, not to get controversial, but I feel like is any part of that from direction of the public teachers union? I mean, I think the NEA is, you know, has spoken out against charters and I think they, a lot of it, they try to say like it's accountability, but I don't also think again, there's not a strong understanding of what we have to do as far as reporting from the state. Now we are held to many RSAs, not as many RSAs as, um, the traditional public schools and the big difference that sets us apart, in my opinion, a charter school and a public school, traditional public school, regardless of what we do for academics, because um, remember, we're still testing and having to show that our kids are making growth. Mm -hmm. The biggest difference is the board. Traditional public school boards are elected officials. Charter school boards are volunteers. So a charter school board is there because they really believe in the mission, the vision, the mission and the vision in helping kids. And they're not elected officials that may or may not have an agenda. All right. And so that's where, again, too, like we can just look at some of the statistics. Right. So I believe it's over a million kids in this country left traditional public schools in 2022. I'm sure you've seen 14 that percent in the state of New Hampshire alone. Wow. Yeah. And so, again, I mean, for whatever reason, we don't have to get into them today, obviously, on this call. But for whatever reason, there is a very high demand for, again, school choice and for looking at alternatives. Now, what I one of the reasons why I joined the board, obviously, as you know, but the listeners don't, is because of the structure of micro society. Right. And how you are educating these kids. And again, from grades K through eight, can you walk through the difference in terms of curriculum? on a micro society level versus the traditional public school. Yeah. And, you know, this is a great thing about the free choice option for these kids because all the charters in our state are different. We have different pedagogies. So in our case, our program is micro society. And so we're about real world application. So our students take what they learn in the classroom and learn how it applies to their everyday world by running their own mini society for a period every day. So it's a 45 minute block where students are given jobs, 
we have a currency, we have a bank, we have a government, they earn paychecks, and they also get days off where they can go spend their hard-earned dollars, micro dollars in our case, on goods and services from other student-run agencies and, and ventures. So um, students may want to be a business owner. So they would propose a business plan. And we get about, at this point, we get about 80 business plans a year. So we can't run that many businesses. Um, so we pick and select, and those owners then have to go to the bank and get a business loan. And they have to hire their employees and interview and they have to run payroll and profit and loss statements. And we, you know, some have not made it. And, and we, then we take all their personal money and they don't understand that they have to pay the bank back, <laughs> you know? So there's like these real world lessons, but then it's also, oh, math. Now I know why I need these math skills. It, it will come in handy in everyday life or why reading and writing is so important. You know, having to have those like public speaking type skills, you have to be articulate enough when you go to a job interview or you might not be chosen, you know, do your homework, write a coherent, well thought out sentence when you're doing, you know, resume writing, or if you're working for the newspaper, you have to have a certain skill set. So it's, it's kind of nice that they're getting these, you know, they think they want to know what they want to do. And so they go do a job similar and practice and realize well, this is not what I thought it was going to be, you know, yeah. so they're kind of getting, but they're also, you know, we're not about one size fits all and everyone's a winner and everyone gets a participation trophy. We're actually learning from our failures and, you know, not everyone gets those jobs. We didn't always get the job we may have wanted in our adult life. So now kids are having, un sometimes they're hard lessons, but we're there in a safe place to teach them that's okay to fail what can we reflect on do differently now pull up your bootstraps let's go try again and it usually works out really well so i think when you're you're the thought of like a you know seven or eight year old having this lesson you'd be surprised they're really they buy in and they really learn and what we hope to see is you know you're learning you're trying something hard in the micro block where maybe you see from those failures those mistakes those trying again that it works out well for you. Now let's apply that into the classroom and your academics. You know, this don't get stuck on this math problem. How can we look at this differently? How can we try again? Just don't give up. And that's what we hope to see. Well, again, I, anybody that knows me would first off, just hearing your explanation of how you run max, they would know exactly why I joined your board because <laughs> I'm such a believer in, you know, merit-based and, you know, learning through failures. I love that. Um, and again, you know, if you look at anyone that's been successful, they have failed. There's no question about it. Nobody just hits it the first time and, you know, never fails. You got to go through those struggles and you're doing it in a way where, you know, the kid is experiencing, yes, quote unquote failure, but it's not like, you know, they're not having lunch that day. You know what I mean? They're, they're going through that process and just kind of understanding, you know, how that all works. But I, as cynical as I've become, as I've gotten older, you know, I really feel like, it's almost by design that, and I'm not talking about, you know, every school, but there are some schools out there where they should be teaching the things that you're teaching and they're not. And I wonder why they're not. And the more I think of it is, well, if you can keep a level of ignorance, specifically around finances, and you look at one of the biggest issues in this country right now, and it's student loan debt. Mm -hmm. If kids had more education around that and understood, you know, what they were getting themselves into, they may make a better decision. And I think with your kids, because they're running, you know, profit and loss statements and they're putting together business plans, you know, at how how young are they starting to do all that? 
So, you know, we are financial managers are older. They have to take finance 101, pass a test to be able to be the ones to, um, sorry, to be the ones to be able to do the profit and loss statements, developmentally appropriate, of course. Um, but every student starting as young as kindergarten is learning things simple as debit and credits. So we start as simple as that and build from there. So a kindergartner will say, will go and be like, I have no money in my account. Well, that is really hard on your day off when your friends are going to spend their money and you can't join them because you spent it so fast and already. So they're learning simple lessons like that, but then it gets, you know, greater as you grow, you go up in the years and you've now built some money. You might have the startup money now to run, start your business, um, simple things like that. So yeah, there's, there's no doubt. I went to a business school and your eighth graders probably have more of a business acumen than some of the folks that I graduated with. I was talking to bankers the other day and they had, uh, uh, one of them was saying how he has had to show his 23 year old how to write a check. Yeah. And he was mortified because he works in a bank, but he's like, I took it for granted. Like we've taken it for granted that the schools aren't teaching in the financial literature, literacy, excuse me, financial literacy like they used to. Yeah. You know, and that that's just a real world example. Well, our kids are learning how to fill out a checkbook, you know, yeah. balance a checkbook, look at, you know, how to write a check, how to simple things too, like how to address an envelope in letters. Yeah. Students don't know how to do that anymore. Yeah. You know, so, but yeah, when it comes around the money, they're, they're getting a, more of a concept for the dollar and what it means and how hard it is to earn it and the how what things actually cost they're getting that concept at a young age so, so they might make five dollars let's say for minimum wage you know whatever yeah. governments we have our governments at the minimum wage but this item they want costs twenty dollars and then yeah. they're realizing because they only get five dollars a day i have to work four days to get this item i want to buy yeah. And that's a real lesson right there. So how much have the kids recently, and I'm sure they're obviously seeing it too in, you know, their regular lives, have they learned about inflation? How much have the kids learned about inflation? Well, we in our so an example would be um you can't just you be given the you know materials you need to make a product, for instance. You mm -hmm. have to go to what we call the warehouse and buy it, just like any store. Any, you know, production company would have to buy supplies to make their product. And so we have inflated things somewhat. <laughs> yeah. And so what a student a few years ago might have been like, well, wait a minute, a pack of pencils costs one dollar. Why is it costing two now? You know, they're getting some uh, reality on how that affects the bottom line. For I was going to say, because what's happening with the price of their goods or services that they're producing, it's probably going up, right? Right. So yeah. we've inflated slightly from the product, you know, the stuff they need to buy to make their products or, you know, have in then also with minimum wage upping that. And so it has this trickle effect. And so they're learning that that's what's happening, yeah. that how it is, it's all this trickle effect and how. It... Well, and again, too, I mean, you so in the school, you have how many businesses are there? So we have about, I think, 18 this year. Wow. So we, some of them we call what we refer to pop-ups. So we like to think of them as the kiosk in the mall. Yeah. So it's short, small, They it's short term, it's a quick hit. And then another kiosk type business would move in. So we do allow smaller businesses like that. 
Um, but then we have larger ones. Like in the past, we've had ones, an escape room, for instance, that was like a staple one that they could keep fresh and new and kids keep coming back, kept, excuse me, kept coming back to. Yeah, that's great. I mean, because again, these are life skills that they're going to have even before they graduate from high school. I mean, in terms of the trajectory of the students so far, because you started, you know, in 2015 and you had some fifth graders, obviously, then, right? Have you been able to track kind of their success since they've left Max? Yeah, so we're we're excited because this will be our first high school graduating class. So we're going to be excited we're to see where they um, land in college. But for our eighth graders who have left us and moved on, we have a wide variety of um, high schools they have attended. So we've had um, traditional, they go back to their home traditional school. We have had um, private school placements such as Bishop Girton, um, the Groton School in Massachusetts, Tilton School. Um, we've also had them successfully join other charter schools, including very competitive charter schools, our neighbor Academy of Science Design, um, and other popular ones in the area, Founders Academy um, and um, Grand State Arts Academy. Those are some other ones that are for charters that our children have um, attended. But it's been a wide variety, and we're getting um, – better at tracking that. And that's where we really want to go next is like, and where are they going on from there? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I'm sure you have a lot of goals. I'm sure you have a vision for the school and everything. And I think, you know, this is part of the growth is getting the word out, right? Is I can't tell you how many people I talk to when I tell them I'm on the board of micro society and they say, where's that? And it's like, you know, it's on a main road in the center of Nashua and not many folks know that you exist. So how, what's the thought process on getting that name out a little bit more? I know up to, we really have been a grassroots effort. It's been word of mouth is really how we've attracted the the students that and families that we have. Um, but, you know, we're, we won a $600,000 expansion grant from the state of New Hampshire and we're working really hard on growing our program. And if that all comes to fruition, we will start to market, you know, stronger than we have. I don't, we don't know what that will look like yet, but um, we definitely want to tell our story and that we are, you know, civic minded, humanities strong, um, and, you know, educating students to be future leaders and productive community members. We, mm -hmm. Our kids are learning how to effectively communicate, collaborate, problem solve, be creative. You know, we really want that student voice and choice in all that we do, because if they have a say, there's going to be more buy-in. So that's really what we're doing. But I mean, we have students now that we, there's, they're going to be working jobs that we don't even know exist today you know, and that's the reality. Mm -hmm. And so we, we got to really work on those skills that I just talked about the collaboration, creativity, critical thinking, like those are the key skills we got to be teaching kids today so they can function in whatever they decide to do in the future. Absolutely. Um, and I think too, there's, you know, years ago when I was in high school for whatever it was, I mean, I was, um, definitely part of the generation where the pressure was on you that if you didn't go to college, you weren't going to be successful. Right. And, any of the kids that have decided to maybe go down the road of vocational school or something like that for, and it wasn't right, but yeah, we're looked down upon sometimes. Mm -hmm. Right. And and that wasn't right. And today, you know, the kids that are doing the vocational route are probably the smartest because they're going to end up making good money with no debt, you know, at a very young age. 
when I think of Max, I think you guys are almost kind of like a hybrid. It's not like, you know, it's, it's not a vocational school by any means, but it's, it's working through experience and actually doing as opposed to just reading a textbook. Now you still have textbooks and all of that, and you're still, you know, teaching the basics of reading, writing, and arithmetic, but you're taking that ability to say, no, you create the business. You see if it works or you see if it fails. And if it fails, how are you going to get out of that situation? I never had any experience like that whatsoever in my 12 years of being in public school, you know, down in Rhode Island. Um, So I think it's an interesting concept. Micro society in itself, you guys are the only micro society in New Hampshire, but are there others that are out there? Yes. So it there's almost 200 micro society themed schools and after school programs in the United States and other countries. Um, so micro society is not a new concept. It was born in the 80s. Um, George Richmond, the founder who has since passed away, he was a Bronx school teacher and brought this concept to his classroom and he went for his Ph.D. And he ended up this was his dissertation and he ended up publishing it. So it was for a classroom, not a whole school. And then back in the 80s, and the Lowell City Magnet School was born. Basically, the Lowell City said, we want this magnet school. A bunch of uh, teachers volunteered to do it. And they said, come up with the idea. And they picked up George Richmond's book, took his concept to a classroom and bought it, brought it school-wide. They invited George to co- and his wife, Carolyn, to come see the program. And from there, George and Carolyn's Carolyn started um, Micro Inc., which is headquarters headquartered in Philadelphia. And they own the curriculum. They own the program. It's their baby. And they now have trainers that they push out um, to these schools that want to bring this program and concept to life. Wow. So I've consulted for them for a few years and went down and, and helped bring this to life in a school in West Virginia. So I, I was going to say, so you've had the ability to collaborate with other micro societies. Yeah, they they pro, micro Inc. provides that, which is great um, connections. Um, we can always call upon them to answer any questions or help. They're you know working hard on what they call micro 2.0 and to bring it a little more in the 21st century. So they're always trying to evolve. Um, but yeah, it's been nice. We have uh, national. They have national and international conferences um with covid that kind of gone by the wayside but next not this summer next summer they're bringing it back so it will be their 30th year anniversary in fact so over those 30 years i mean i don't know if you can think of it off the top of your head but where's like the biggest or i should say most successful micro society so i don't i don't know off the top of my head what which school they would categorize as the most successful. I do know that um, they Penn Hills has been a pretty successful one. That's in Pennsylvania. They've had, um, there's another one out in California in Chula Vista. That's actually a, I believe it's a K through 12 model wow. school. That's had, so that's probably one of the larger ones that I'm aware of. Um, but they've had a lot of success in Canada. Uh, Aspen Heights is another very popular um well-run micro program up there. Um, and the closest one to us is in Hartford. And I forget the name of the school, but it's in the city of Hartford. It's the next closest micro theme school in New England. Do you have any idea how big uh, Penn Hills or the one in California is, like how many students they have? I do not know, no. 
So the, the point is, is that, not to use the cliche, but like sky's kind of the limit for micro society here in Nashua. I mean, there's significant opportunity, especially being in quote unquote gate city, right? Because mm -hmm. you're not, are you just getting Nashua students or are you getting students outside of Nashua? So in New Hampshire, charter school students, uh, charter schools are open to any student in the state of New Hampshire for free. So we mainly, I'd say at this point, 90% of our students are from Nashua, but then we do have students from surrounding towns in, mm -hmm. in Auburn, as far as Auburn this year. So but we they have, can't be obviously from Massachusetts. They have to be within the state. Yeah, they can come to us from Massachusetts if we have openings and we've exhausted all wait lists and then it's tuition based, but we have wait lists and so we've been very popular. So we have not had that opportunity open to Massachusetts students. Gotcha. Mm -hmm. So again, it really just comes down to growth, right? Um, and again, the, the the hardships that you faced, you know, financially over the years, not due to your fault, just more due to the underfunding relative to the traditional public schools, you've been able to significantly make up that difference. You know, I'm not going to get into specifics of, you know, the financials for Max, but I know for a fact that you've done a fantastic job minimizing your expenses to truly reinvest into the school um, it's exciting because I think that, yeah, just what we've seen in the last handful of years, everything's changing, you know, and I think that more folks that realize what's available to them, you know, just off of exit five here in Nashua, um, you're going to have the good problem of, yeah, having significant wait lists and folks trying to get in, especially when you're battling. Cause if you're getting into the school and you have a sibling, I'm assuming those folks are getting in, um they get priority they, in get the, they don't always get in because if they you know we we had for instance so many kindergarten applicants that were siblings that we didn't even have all of the siblings get in and we had to have a si a sibling lottery mm -hmm. it was insane it just happened to be oh. a weird birth year or something like everyone had like it yeah. was all siblings but yeah but for the most part, yes, we want to keep families together. And that was a rare, uh, you know, occasion. But um, yes, siblings get priority. So we have a couple more minutes left. I mean, with the last couple minutes that we do have for anybody that's listening to this, what else that we didn't get a chance to touch on do you want them to know about micro society? And if anybody is interested in getting involved or helping the cause, I mean, how can they do that? Yeah, so our website um, is a great starting point for anyone interested in learning more about us and the program. We actually have a nice about seven minute video that really shows the kids in action. You can watch that right on our website. Um, I invite anyone who is interested in planning to come to open houses. Um, and if an open house has gone by and we've gone through the lottery process, that's okay. We'll still take tours for you. Um, we'll still have a tape your application because you never know things, doors can open up, things happen over the summer, people move. So don't give up hope. If this, you think this is a program for your child, stick with it, apply. Um, the other thing is we're always looking for volunteers in the capacity, couple capacities, one being community volunteers. So we love to have community partners in the community doing the jobs that our students are doing here in our bu our building. So for instance, we have bank we have a bank. We love local banks to come in and support our bankers. Um, we have a police force. We call them peacekeepers. We love to have we've had national 
police department and supporting our kids. Um, we have a court system. We'd love a judge. You know, we have business owners. In the past, the owner from six Break Free 603 supported us when we had an escape room. So if this is something you're interested in, it, we'd love to let you know what kind of business we're running and see if there's a match for you. Um, another thing is we always are looking for volunteer board members. With our growth, we could always use more board members. So if this is something that you're passionate about or think you have expertise that could lend a hand to the students and the kids in the community, we'd love to talk to you. Yeah, I mean, again, I, I would just say if anyone's looking to get involved, you know, reach out because, again, I, I think that um, Micro Society, it's a great program. Not a lot of people know that it's available to them. Um, it's going to continue to grow. It's going to continue to build notoriety. And uh, if this was any way, shape or form that I could help the cause to get more of this word out and to uh, get you not only the financial support, but also the volunteers that you're looking for to help the cause, then you know, I'll be happy with that. So um, let me end where I started and saying thanks, Amy. Really appreciate the time. Again, your schedule is insane. So thank you for joining us here for a few minutes and uh, looking forward to see, you know, how micro society continues to grow. I'm excited yeah. for it. Thanks so much. And thanks right, for take care. Your, your volunteerism here too. <laughs> Absolutely. Thank you. Thanks. Again, my personal belief is financial literacy is a huge issue in this country, and it's one of the main components of micro society. I'm so glad Amy was able to take some time and share her story along with the story of Max, a truly great organization and one that I'm looking forward to continuing to support. Have a great week, everyone. And always remember to avoid the noise, stay on your plan, and never stop learning. Until next time, folks, take care.